Welcome to Relationships at Work, the leadership guide to creating a workplace we love. I'm your host, Russell Lolliker, a communications and leadership nerd with a couple of decades of experience in both of those areas and a heap of curiosity in all areas on how we can make the workplace a better place. And this show is a great resource to help us with that. Every week on the show, I talk with a local or global leader on topics that are here to help us improve the workplace. We've tackled such topics as negativity, Empathy, activism, burnout, mental health, imposter syndrome, diversity, equity, inclusivity. I'm never going to run out of things to talk about, about improving the workplace and making leaders better. And now as an added bonus, mini episodes. That's right. Every Thursday, I share an under 10 minute episode pulled from the pages of our weekly raw note, which you can still subscribe to, but this is a definitely a, a quick and easy way to get some mindset shifts in your head as you start your day or plan your next week. It's just a quick, valuable bit of information on top of the regular show. So the raw note this week I'm passing on to you, well, it's a special episode, 10 leadership lessons in 100 episodes. Welcome. This feels weird. This feels like I'm a kid watching TV in the 80s and 90s and they go, this is a very special episode of Knight Rider or Silver Spoons or whatever. Uh, you can pretty much guess my age from the references of the TV shows I'm throwing at you. This episode is a big, big milestone for me. It's number 100 of Relationships at Work. Yay! Cue fireworks. Cue... Exhaustion. <laughs> this started in early 2022, and I had two goals for the first uh, first year of the podcast. The first was consistency. Uh, I think the stat for podcasts is they generally die after eight episodes. If you can make it past eight episodes, you've already passed that common threshold for a lot of people. That just it's called pod fade, where a lot of podcasts are out there, but a lot of them are shows that didn't make it past eight episodes. So could I do a podcast every week for a year? That was my first goal. The second goal was, can I provide consistent value? Can I provide amazing guests? Will I have problems getting amazing guests? Well, both of those goals achieved. Uh, I have so much fun putting this together. I'm amazed and thrilled by the guests that I get to share with you, their brains, their experiences, and Lots more to come, by the way. I've got so many more episodes to share with you. But but it's the milestone I want to start with. The milestone is the focus of this episode because I want to share something with you. I want to share 10 lessons, 10 of them, because 100 would be way too many, 10 lessons from 100 episodes of Relationships at Work. But first, I want to thank you for listening. Whether you've been there from the beginning or you're a newbie, I appreciate every listen, like, share, conversation, question, watch, email, all of it. Whether you're a fan of the guest episodes that drop every Tuesday, the mini episodes that go on Thursday, uh, the Raw Note newsletter also that comes out Thursday. We've launched YouTube now. We've got a YouTube channel that has a new episode every Friday. Instagram, TikToks. I seem to be in a lot of places and I can't thank you enough for joining me, whether on all of them or some of them, one of them, I don't care. I'm just, 
I'm thrilled you find value in the show. There's a lot of effort that it's put into it. So for you to find value and to share it with others and to talk about it and to put it in your newsletters, I'm, I'm blown away by that. And I, I can't thank you enough for being with me on this journey as I'm as much a student as anybody. I, I love having this show because I get to learn right along with you. So that's, that's huge for me. So thank you so much for being, for being a part of that. So 100 episodes, what a heck of a start. But like I said, let's boil it down to just 10 lessons, highlights, reinforcements, takeaways from listening and learning to some amazing brains in the leadership, employee experience, and workplace culture space, but also some of my own insights. I've been around a while myself and done pretty okay as a leader in various roles uh, and observations. So let's do it. Let's get into the 10. So here we are, drum roll insertion. 10 lessons from 10 times that amount of episodes of Relationships at Work. Number one, definitions matter. What are we even talking about when we talk about so many of these things? Like leadership, innovation, engagement, communication. These are words that are almost used in every other sentence or more. In emails, conversations, goal setting, uh, plans. We use these words almost to the point where they don't have as much meaning. But the problem is, is the meaning is the problem, is that we use them so frequently, we don't know what they actually mean because we never define them. For example, and I've used this a few times, leadership. Leadership to one organization could mean very different things to an individual who's just starting at that organization. We assume people know, we assume we have the same vision and idea of what leadership is, what a leader looks like, But I've seen it be very, very different based on what success looks like as a leader in one organization when people are like, but I read Simon Sinek, I read Brene Brown, this is what a leader is to them. And if they don't align, you're going to have some big problems when it comes to employee experience and employee engagement. You just have to define engagement. Number two, values mean nothing on a poster. They don't. I don't care whether it's your HR department put it together and or your vision has a soaring eagle on a poster in some meeting room or it's on a website. Oh my goodness, it's all on a bunch of websites. But what does that mean when the rubber hits the road? What does that mean in an organization when we point to the words and go, these are our values, this, this, is, this is what we are, but then you see actions that totally you know, go against those values And they don't get punished. They don't get, you know, discussed. They just become also part of the norm. So how important and valuable are your values if you're not operationalizing them? Uh, Justin Robbins was on the show. Great story he talked about when he was at Hershey, where they actually rewarded employees when they demonstrated the values of the organization. They would have leaders go around with these little checkbooks Uh, and basically walk up to people as they saw them demonstrate whatever their values were, curiosity, innovation, ingenuity. I I don't know what Hershey's values are, but they'd see them and they'd write them like a note of thank you. And I think there was also a contribution, like you get a Hershey buck or something or ever that you could cash in at their store or an experience within the organization. But needless to say, rewarded, reinforced, and rewarded. That is how we understand values. And it reinforces that that is the culture in which you work if you're reinforcing them. So values 
can't just be a poster on a wall. They actually have to be demonstrated, reinforced, and rewarded. Number three, culture is not one thing. How many times have you heard from an executive where they're like, we need to figure out our culture. We need to define our culture. We need to, I've seen it. I've presented in rooms where people have asked me questions in regards to this. The problem with that is there already is a culture. There is a culture across the organization. There is a culture, but that isn't even the most important culture. The most important culture are the thousands of subcultures that happen within the organization. Sure, we can say this is the culture of the organization we have, but if you have a, a leader that's not great, they'll have staff that are creating their own culture to defend themselves from a bad leader or to create an environment in which they like to show up to every day. Or there'll be a bunch of people that have different ways of speaking and understanding the world. I'm talking whether that's through a diversity lens, whether that's from um, uh, any, any lens where people have commonalities. They will create their own culture within the larger culture. And if you as a leader are just painting the organization with one culture brush, you are missing the point. You do not understand how organizations work and you are not being curious enough in trying to understand those that work within your organization because you think culture is one thing and it is not. It is not easy, but it is worth it to better understand the culture and the many cultures of your organization, especially if you're trying to get buy-in, change management, all of it. Number four, diversity and inclusion covers a lot more than you think. Now, when I say the words diversity and inclusion, I want you to close your eyes. Hopefully you're not driving right now or running. This could be dangerous. I want you to think what you think of when you think of diversity. You could be thinking of someone in a wheelchair. You could be somebody with different skin color than you or somebody with another different cultural background. Could be economic, but it doesn't end there. There are people that work differently, night owls, For example, I just did an episode on night owls and how they are productive at different types, different times of the day, but we don't set up the workplace like that. It's you work early to when the day is done and you're done. Meanwhile, night owls are just getting ramped up at that time of day and they're not producing their best work because that's not how they work. Neurodivergent people, they look at communication differently. They may not get the same social cues that other people get. Diversity is so wide reaching. And unfortunately, a lot of us put diversity inclusivity into this box of for us to be diverse, we have to be more inclusive of these kind of people or these kind of people without really understanding that it can show up in so many different ways. We talk about diversity inclusivity so much, but I don't think we dig into what diversity actually means back to that definition thing again, and how it can show up in different ways in the organization and what we're missing out in by not embracing all those spectrums and aspects of diversity. Number five, we're halfway there. This is a much longer episode, so thank you. It's a special episode, right? That's why it's a little longer. Yeah, go on with that. Anyway, I hope you're enjoying this. Number five, psychological safety is everything. We can talk about culture. We can talk about diversity. We can talk about inclusivity. We can talk about equity. We can talk about belonging. We can talk about burnout. We can talk about... But you know what? If we don't have psychological safety, we can't talk about any of these things because nobody feels safe to express themselves. Be honest. 
uh, I, I, again, we have executives who say things like, let's talk about our culture. And we're like, uh, our culture is we don't trust executive. <laughs> that could be some organizations. I've talked to a lot of guests who tell me about horror stories about employees that just do not feel like they can connect with others in the organization. So psychological safety is absolutely paramount for any sort of change, any sort of growth, any sort of health of an organization. As I often say, an open door policy, the least important thing in that policy is the door. It's about the people and the relationships and that trust that needs to be built. Psychological safety is a priority and everything grows from that. Number six, we carry workplace trauma for decades. I started soon after a couple episodes of the podcast by asking each of my guests what's their best or worst employee experience. Now, some shared their best. That was great. Really appreciate it. It all shows a little bit of different aspects of their growth through their employee journey. And, and usually the negatives are usually the one that people go to. Almost always, every employee experience that was bad that they shared was one of two things. One, it was something that happened to them in their like early parts of their career, whether in their teens or their early 20s. Or... It was the reason they quit entirely and started their consultancy decades ago. But the reoccurring theme of all that was it was stories they remembered from 20, 30 years ago. I don't think us as leaders have any idea, any idea of the impacts we have on those around us when we provide a horrible employee experience or a great employee experience and how much that affects and impacts people and they carry it with them. They carry it home. They carry it into their conversations with their families. It's huge. Okay, we're getting there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Engagement isn't a checked box. One of the first things I wanted to do with this podcast, this show, was really focus on mindset over tactics. Tactics will get done, but they won't be consistent. Or they'll be good for a month, and they're like, eh, it didn't work. Mindset is where change really happens because you become the person that changes things, that improves things, as opposed to that person that thinks that if they check off these three things, the rainbows will come out, the sun will shine, the rain will part. That's not how engagement works. It's not how change management works. We can't look at any improvement in an organization as a checked box situation. Engagement can't be that because you're trying to build trust. You're trying to build psychological safety with all those relationships. So if you treat it like a checked box, people you're trying to connect with will see right through that. It becomes prescriptive and becomes obvious that you're following this step-by-step rather than actually caring, rather than actually being purposeful and intentional. So yeah, mindset absolutely much more important than tactics. Next up, disengagement strategies are a bigger problem than engagement strategies. Jeff Toyster uh, inspired this. He wrote this little post. I don't think he realizes how much impacted me or how much it made me just shift my whole way of thinking when it came to engagement. We have so many engagement strategies in so many organizations. We talk about it. We create plans. We create so many presentations on what it takes to engage employees. 
The thing is, no organization hires disengaged staff. People want to work. They want to put in their time. They want to know their job's valuable. It's the disengagement. It's the broken processes. It's the condoned bad leadership or bad behaviors. People get disengaged from the workforce by seeing these practices over and over again. That's what disengages them. So I think it would be much more impactful if we understood a disengagement strategy and how we can figure out to shift that needle. What roadblocks do we need to move? What challenges do we need to fix? What processes do we need to review? Who do we need to listen to? Disengagement, I think, is a much bigger problem than employee engagement ever will be. Number nine, problems are universal, regardless of industry. I don't care where you work. It could be anything from the media, could be retail, could be uh, nonprofit, could be public service, could be, it doesn't matter where you work. Humans are humans are humans are humans. Good humans, bad humans, habits, um, everything is human, human, human. It does not matter which industry you're in. All of what I talk about on this, on this show can be translated very easily into any organization. I, I talk about topics that I know are very relevant to one industry and I'll bring them up and somebody in another industry is like, yep, totally happens in mine too. It is so universal. We can't think we're special just because we're in some industry that we think is different than others. It's just not. People are people are people are people and we need to understand them by making that effort and not putting up excuses like, oh, we're different. Can't do it. Okay, number 10. Here we go. The one thing people can do to improve their relationships at work, this is a play on the last question I ask every episode of my guests, effort and priority. <laughs> right away, I say one thing and I give you two. Aren't I sneaky? All right, so relationships at work don't just happen. We can't think that building relationships at work is any different than building relationships through our lives through our loved ones, family members, best friends. Building relationships at work have the same building blocks. You have to make an effort. You have to prioritize it. You have to know that this is something that you want, that you have to understand how to show up, how to talk, how not to talk, verbal cues, nonverbal cues, showing up to meetings, talking to the right people, uh, and how they, they want to be talked to. We have to understand that building relationships at work should absolutely be the most important thing. But to do that, we have to do it. We can't just sit in our cubicle or sit in our office, cross our arms and go, gee, I don't, I don't understand why I don't have any relationships or I'm not getting the truth of what's going on in our organization. You're self-isolating. That's your fault. You have to make the effort, come out from behind your desk, go make a friend, go talk to somebody that is in a completely different wage bracket than you are. It doesn't matter. Just talk to them like they're people. And that's where those relationships will really be forged. That was that. 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Now, of course, I've learned so much more in this show. Um, I'm sure you have as well. But I just want to look back and look at some of the, 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 the reoccurring themes of the show, of things that have certainly shown up more than once and that I really wanted to sort of pull together into one episode to share with you. So thank you for letting me reflect a bit. I, I hope you get a chance to reflect on the show and, and shows that we've done to date. As I've said, 
I've got so many more shows to share. I've got so many great guests lined up. I am so excited to keep the momentum going. And uh, and speaking of which, on a side note, I just really want to thank the guests that have been on this show. I started like basically just reaching out to buddies and friends of mine that I'm like, hey, you're important. You want you want to be on the show? And and I talked to a lot of my customer experience connections from my experience in that area back in the day. And it just grew and grew and people would recommend other people. And yeah, it's been such a great experience just even building those relationships. I, I would be really stupid if I talked about relationships at work and I didn't make the effort myself to build relationships with my guests and you as the listeners. So that that has been so uh, valuable to me. So thank you so much to all my guests and to those that have been a, a part of recommending them, suggesting them, and uh, and filling this show with so much knowledge and value. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. I, this has been a very long episode of a mini episode. This is not common. Every mini episode usually goes around uh, under ten minutes, but this one was a special one. A hundred episodes. Ah, hundred episodes. Yeah, I'm really wrapping my brain around. That is a huge milestone for me, and thank you for being a part of it. And I'm going to leave it with some gratitude. And uh, yeah, if you want to reach out to me, uh, please email me at hello at russellawlicker.com. You can find me on my website. There's a contact form there as well. You can reach out to me. I always love hearing from you. All right, take care. Bye-bye.